It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Tonight, stunning images as rioters supporting President Trump overrun the Capitol, scuffling with police. On the floor of the House, officers with guns drawn, with protesters just outside the door. Here, you see rioters trying to break down a door, and you hear a gunshot. Over in the Senate, protesters breaching what's supposed to be the highly secure Senate floor, abruptly stopping the counting of electoral votes. Some taking photos on the Senate day, others shouting and pushing past officers to get inside. Elsewhere, this man sitting with his feet up behind a desk in Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. Police placing the Capitol on lockdown. A riot was declared. It was clear that the crowd was intent on causing harm to our officers by deploying chemical irritants on police. Members of Congress rushing to take shelter, some wearing gas masks. We were just told that there has been tear gas in the rotunda and we're being instructed uh, to each of us get uh, gas masks that are under our seats. It began just after that massive pro-Trump rally. Tens of thousands gathering near the White House to protest the expected declaration of Joe Biden's Electoral College victory. The group then marching to the Capitol. Many just standing on the steps outside. Others wandering in the rotunda. Some scaling down the building. At one point, an armed standoff. Police say one person was shot. Democratic and Republican lawmakers urged President Trump to appear on camera to tell the protesters to leave. Instead, he later tweeted asking protesters to remain peaceful and respect police. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was a report uh, that came out right after January the 6th of last year. And you can see, uh, you can drive holes through the narrative. Of course, that's the narrative that people got. It was a collection of videos, the worst possible moments in the rotunda without any kind of context. We know a lot more about this now. We know that that one shot that was heard that they kept playing over and over again was actually a shot by a Capitol Police officer who killed an innocent woman, Ashley Babbitt, who was actually trying to stop the men around her who was who were trying to breach that barrier that uh, would enter, enter into the, the house chamber. So she was uh, she was killed on that day by a Capitol policeman. That was the only gunshot that was ever heard. Uh, in that report, they said that it was, a, it was apparent that these uh, insurrectionists were trying to harm officers. How ironic is that? If, if that were true, that Trump supporters who have fought so hard uh, to protect the police and defend them would actually go to the Capitol to harm police officers. It defies logic, and it wasn't logical. And we know now that the police officers aggravated. Some of them instilled, some of them beat the protesters. In fact, one woman who was completely defenseless, beaten uh, to death in a tunnel. So we, we know a lot more about it now, don't we? And so many things have been fall, fallen out from this. You hear it from me all the time. Many of you were there that day. Uh, some of you had kids that were there that day. 
Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, you've heard my friends that I know in D.C., like John Eastman, who was on the platform with uh, President Trump the day of the rally. Uh, now they're after him. They've de- demanded all of his email. He has been uh, reduced in his official capacities as a very well-respected member of the legal community. They're trying to take his law license, and that applies to anyone uh, who is an attorney who had anything to do with J6 or even President Trump, for that matter. We think of Jenny Thomas, who's under attack now, the wife of Clarence Thomas, who was there on January 6th. She told everyone she was. She got cold and left early, but that's still not acceptable. And so they want to subpoena, you know, they're finding out her text messages. It's The world has gone crazy, but really not so crazy. They are diabolically concentrating on destroying Trump supporters. Of course they want to bring down Donald Trump. We heard um, uh, uh, Liz Cheney just say a few days ago that the committee, the J6 committee, the illegal committee, uh, constituted completely outside the bounds of the regulations to to have a committee like that, uh, where the Republicans chosen by the Republican leadership were not allowed to sit on the committee And instead, Nancy Pelosi chose two Republicans that hate President Trump, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. And so it's a a kangaroo court. Now they're saying publicly, we knew this was coming, but now they're saying publicly they they think they're going to criminally charge uh, Donald Trump. But of course, the repercussions are much greater than Donald Trump. all, All Trump supporters are now insurrectionists. We are domestic terrorists, according to the FBI and uh, it's it's um it January sixth is significant in many ways, but none of the stories that I have told you so far they're they're plenty sad. Uh, pay, they pay all in comparison to what's happened to the more than seven hundred detainees, people that have been arrested all over the country. Sometimes in the early morning hours with FBI raids in fifty different states. Uh, do I need to tell you that you know Bank of America released phone records, even people that were just there on the property. People that went to Washington, D.C., which is their right to support their president, which is their right to go to the rally. If you've lived in D.C. like I have for years, everybody comes to D.C. to march, uh, to wave signs, uh, to protest. It's just part of our DNA. But not so if you came in support of President Trump or if you dared to think that there was something wrong with that election. So 700 of the people that went uh, on January the 6th to support the president, and some of them went into the Capitol. It was a small number by comparison to the huge crowd, uh, but some of them went into the Capitol, and you know that. We talk about this fairly often, but it's been too long, and so it's time for us to regroup, and uh, you've heard me talk about this with um, uh, with Julie Kelly and others. And so this, I want to read to you just two excerpts from uh, letters from detainees in the D.C. jail. I'm not going to use their names, but I just want you to see what's happening to them. We've told you about it, the solitary confinement, the beatings, uh, the lack of religious freedom, and on and on it goes. But these are real men with real families and real stories, and this is from the first one. He said some, he starts, I can't read all of this, but says, basically know that if you come to D.C. to protest, you will be attacked, charged with crimes, thrown in jail with no bond as a danger to the community. Have your livelihood, family, and hope destroyed. Then be sent to trial where the juror's deepest hidden wish is for you to bleed to death on a prison shower floor. Thank you for your time reading this.
I am currently detained in Washington, D.C. while awaiting trial for crimes alleged to have been committed during the January 6th election protest. As of March 19, 2022, I have been detained 389 days. I have been denied bond, the court deciding that I am a danger to the community despite having no criminal history, and the court has yet to set a date for my trial despite my assertion of my right to a speedy trial. My detention has created multiple challenges for my wife of 16 years and our three sons. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And the next one is a letter that uh, came to someone I know well. I'll leave the names out, uh, but they've been regularly writing one of the one of the detainees in the D.C. jail. He starts out by talking about what's in the news. He says, all we hear is about Ukraine. He talks about the truckers circulating the Beltway. Uh, and um, he said, I heard that the New York Times admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop was legitimate just about a year and a half too late. How come they didn't keep up with the Russia propaganda angle? The mailroom here is has begun to assail the mail. Lots of rejections, and now we see letters photocopied, and we are delivered the copies. This is likely to send to end our rights to the copies as actual mail and allow those to collect and dispose of our correspondence at a whim. It really is a pit designed to keep one from climbing out. I like how you say, uh, I'm going to skip that part, it's very personal. Uh, so he said, please pray for my household. It seems life is trying to tear everything apart and there is no telling what I'll be able to salvage at the end of this. I miss my daughter terribly. And I hope someday she understands why I was gone. Certainly my wife does not. But that is an inevitable result of being torn out of the household and her being left to make ends meet. It was a tough month. I may have already relayed the sad news that impacted us like Matthew Perna's suicide and the biased result of Guy Reffitt's trial. Guy, you may remember, I told you he got, I think, 40 years, something like that. And he, his defense attorney brought no witnesses in his defense and would not let Guy testify. So the jury only heard all the, uh, the uh, prosecution. That's it. That's all they heard. And so Guy was given, what, 35, 40 years, something like that. Back to the letter. It was tough to remain unscathed emotionally. <clears throat> Thank you for not forgetting us here. God bless you. You are truly what makes America great, and I would be honored to one day make your acquaintance. I'm praying for you. One day, the stone will be rolled from this tomb. Happy Easter to you both. All right. So with that, um, there are many stories to tell about the detainees, and one of them was a story that we told you when it happened, but not in this way. Matthew Perna was one of the detainees in the D.C. jail uh, who finally just could not stand what was happening to him, and we're going to talk about the details of this, and finally he took his own life. And you probably heard this story to some extent, but not like it's going to be told today. Jerry Perna is with me this morning. She's Matthew Perna's aunt, and she graciously has agreed to, to talk to us this morning. Good morning, uh, Jerry. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, just a couple of things. Let's start with this. How are you, is it your sister's son, or how, how, are, you, how are you his aunt? My brother's son. Your brother's son. Did did you grow up around him, or did he grow up around you, I mean? Uh, were you with him when he was growing up? Oh, yes. We were very close. Um, big Italian family, you know, but um, I was particularly close to my sister-in-law, 
Matt's mom because I didn't have any sisters growing up. So we were particularly close. So I was around Matt and his brother often. Babysat them, took them places, you know, the whole gamut. <laughs> so Matt was 37 when he died. He died in February, by the way. Yes. I know you know that, but people don't remember. How would you describe him growing up? What kind of a kid was he? Very inquisitive, highly intelligent, always had a book in his hand. Um, when he was, this is kind of ironic, when he was very young, like a toddler, he had this fascination with the American flag. Every time you saw one, he had to point it out. Or he had coloring books, and if there were flags in it, that was the first thing he colored. Um, he just he had a fascination with the American flag, even when he was little. Was, and, there, was, um, was, patriotism, dis- was patriotism discussed in, in their home? I mean, were you guys, you know, overt patriots? That, yes, very much so, especially his mom. Um, they were very patriotic. The 4th of July was always a big deal. Um, so, yes, he grew up in a home that loved America. So uh, he really does have a remark. I mean, obviously, Jerry, I've read about a lot of this, but uh, it, it's really, his life is fascinating to me. He did a lot in his 37 years. He did. What was his profession? I mean, he did, he was such a, uh, like a Renaissance man, but what did he do to make a living? Well, he, he went to Penn State University, graduated top of his class in business, and um, he had worked a, couple, a few years for a company um, in a marketing position in New Jersey, and then he moved. The company transferred him to Pittsburgh, and so he lived in Pittsburgh for a while, and then the company was actually having to lay people off, and there was a warehouse worker who was going to lose his job and he had a wife and kids and Matt voluntarily took the job loss so that the warehouse worker would not lose his job. Jerry, that's an incredible story. These are things you can't read in a newspaper and you surely won't hear it on the news report. You can't. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, hold, Hold that thought though because I want you to be free to talk. We need to take just a very short break. When we come back, we'll pick up with this because Matt really, if, if, if the tragic ending of his life weren't the topic of what we're going to talk about, we could fill this time just with all the things he's done. And we're going to talk about that some more. And then we're going to talk about what brought him to the point of taking his life in the jail. And Jerry Perna is my guest, Sandy Rios in the Morning, AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. A man about to be sentenced in connection with the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol has died. Matthew Perna was from Mercer County. No cause of death given, but his family says he died of a broken heart. In his obituary, they say the justice system killed his spirit and his zest for life. Perna's family says he entered the Capitol through an open door and took photos. They say he didn't break anything or hurt anyone. In December, Perna pleaded guilty to felony obstruction of Congress and three related misdemeanor charges. He was to be sentenced later this week. He faced up to 20 years in prison. All right. Boy, did that report not say enough. Uh, But that's typical. People don't really know what's true. We're talking with Jerry Perna. She's the aunt of Matthew Perna, who was the man uh, who took his own life, who was incarcerated in the jail 
and we're going to talk about what caused brought him to that point in just a second. But let me just say that uh, Jerry's just told us that he graduated first in his class in Penn State University, and that he gave up his job because a man who had a family needed a job, and so he gave it up. Uh, he loved to travel. He lived in Thailand and South Korea. He taught English to school children. He went on a mission trip to Haiti. Uh, he took lots of trips with his family. He loved the elderly. He loved running long-distance races. He had medals from several straight states. He enjoyed reading. He owned an extensive library of books. He loved music. He played the piano and saxophone. He was an adventurer who loved trying different cuisines from all over the world. He loved animals, dogs, and a sickly kitten that he named Hinoka. And so um, I, I wanted to give that, uh, just to give you an idea, when I say he was a Renaissance man, he truly was. Uh, Jerry, um, I interrupted you. You, to- you just told us he gave up his job, and I think you were going to tell us, just give us some more insight that's not in these articles about who Matt really well, he, was. He did so many things that, to be honest with you, we weren't even aware of until his funeral. People that came to the funeral that attributed um, many things to him, um, stories that we heard. There was a heroin addict that came through the receiving line at the funeral. I did not know him. My brother did not know him. And he was there with his wife and, and their their little baby. And he was just sobbing. And when he got up to us, I asked him who he was, and he told me, and he said, I wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for Matt. He said, three years ago, I was going to take my life. I was a heroin addict. And Matt stepped in and became my friend, and the things he did for me, he says, I have been clean and sober since the day I met him. And he just sobbed right there in my brother's arms because he said that would have been him three years ago lying in a casket. And um, the stories were so many. People that, that went out with Matt in a restaurant, there was a Chinese buffet somewhere and some teenagers came in and the workers were going to throw them out because they didn't have enough money and Matt had them all sit down and he paid for their dinner um these are things he did quietly um that he never talked about he was very humble and he his personality was not that like was what was made out to be after attending the January 6th protest they made him out to be like a vigilante or something, and that was just not Matt. He was just as kind and cool and calm, collected as, as he possibly could be. Jerry, what from your perspective, maybe you, I don't know, you know, if you were living near him January 6th, who would know that people were going to go? I mean, I, a lot of people went, but it wouldn't have necessarily uh-huh. been a topic of big conversation. Did you know he was going? Did the family know? And do you know why he went? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was going, and the group he was going with, I knew them all, and um, they um, felt they were going to have a celebration. They honestly, Matt did not feel that the, the election was going to be certified that day and that it was they were going to be part of a big historical celebration that day. And um, there was absolutely no... No thoughts whatsoever that this was going to go sour. He was he was 100% sure this election was not going to be certified. Yeah. Well, a lot of people were. We were certainly hopeful. We were certainly hopeful. 
And we almost, actually, we almost, constitutionally, there should have been a pause, and Mike Pence did not allow for that. Uh, and there was nothing wrong with he could have done that, and he chose not to. I have to make that clear. It was a matter of opinion about whether the Constitution allowed him to do it, but the Constitution didn't say he couldn't. He could have done, he could have stopped that and let the states sort out the problems that they had before they were certified, but he didn't. So um, so let me just read... Um, so as I understand it, Matt then, I'm sure, saw people being arrested, and he heard that the FBI was looking for him, right? Yeah, I, I actually saw his picture on the site. I was just flipping through my phone, Facebook one night, I couldn't sleep, and somebody had put a link on there that they were looking for people from the Capitol. And I just clicked on the link, and I was scrolling up, and I saw Matt's picture, and my heart just sunk. And um, I called my one brother, and it was middle of the night, and by the time he went to Matt's at 6 o'clock that morning, somebody had already told Matt it was on there. And by 9 o'clock, Matt had called the local FBI office in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and um, to turn himself in. So, I mean, he did not waste one minute, because based on what he did... He just felt this was all one big misunderstanding. He said, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't take anything. The police said I could come in, you know. So he approached it at first with, this is all a big misunderstanding. Okay, so this is, these are the charges that they brought against him. He was indicted in the Capitol riot, that's the words they use, of course, and pleaded guilty in December to entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds, obstruction of an official proceeding and aiding and abetting disorderly and disruptive conduct on a restricted restricted building or grounds and disorderly conduct in a Capitol building. Do you know what Matt actually did from his own lips? Yeah, did he I tell did you because guys he it was did? on his cell phone. It was okay. on his cell phone <laughs> that he recorded. Yeah, so, I know exactly describe, what he did. He describe it. Through an open door, open door, there were two or three Capitol Police officers standing to the right. One of them, like, was waving you in, you know, with his hand. Come on, come on. They go in. He's holding up his cell phone. He stays within the velvet robes. He walks around in there like a tourist, just recording live for Facebook. And then they turned around and thought they were going to go out the door. They came in. The police were lined up with shields, and they just basically shuffled everybody out the rear entrance. And that was it. He goes back to his hotel. Him and a couple of the people he was there with made a live video on Facebook in a very calm, collective manner. They told about their day. They told about all the different nationalities that were there, and people were praying, and there were people singing hymns, and, you know, they told the whole day. It wasn't like the focus of their report on it was the the so-called insurrection because it really wasn't what they witnessed so they told about their day and at the end of the the video matt says on the video um mike pence proved himself to be a traitor today but don't worry don't worry everyone it's okay it's all going to be okay this isn't over yet and when Matt said these words, that's exactly how he said them. And I have the video to prove it. He didn't say them in a, this isn't over yet, 
you know, type of tone. It was, this isn't over yet. And what he meant by that was the states were going to do audits and the election would eventually be overturned. But they took those two lines and they were adding enhancements to his sentence to indicate he was making terroristic threats with those two lines from his Facebook feed. Let's go back for a second, Jerry. When he went in, turned himself into the FBI, uh, did mm-hmm. he then, did they put him in jail in Pennsylvania? No, Matt was never in jail. They arrested him Uh-oh. and they released him. He had never had so much as a parking ticket in his life. No previous arrest, nothing. He was so very was he cooperative now, he, with the FBI. So was he under house arrest all this time? No. No. All right, so but all right, he so it, he he made it go ahead prison out of it himself. He had he wouldn't leave his house after a certain time after oh, a certain amount of months of dealing with this. Matt I see. was embarrassed to go outside. He didn't want to be seen in a restaurant. Um he didn't want to run into people. He became just so severely depressed. And he was seeing counselors, and he was seeing a pastor, and he did attend church services pretty regularly during that, but then at one point he just he just couldn't go anymore. He stopped. Um, but what started out as misdemeanors, and then later they added the felony charge, that's, that's when it got ugly. That's when the nightmare really began, when they added the felony charge of yeah. obstruction. Even though he was not in the building for until, it was like 45 minutes after Congress had adjourned. That's when he entered. So are they... And he did there not are, break into the building. Are there other videos of him? Or is it just his own... His own, I mean, not that that's not enough. It should be. But I just was curious. You know, there were so many videos taken that day. Have you guys seen any other videos of him? Yeah, there were videos um, that they, well, they had it set up, obviously. They were taking video there. Um, And Matt even says it in one of the videos. He said it's almost as if they let everybody in, that everybody walked around, and all of a sudden they they flipped the switch and said, okay, we need to move, we need to get them out of here. They got enough, you know, evidence, I guess, at that point, you know, pictures and video um, there was a video with Matt, and, and this came out like later where it was some controversy. Somebody was tapping Matt on his back with a flagpole or something, and Matt took the flagpole. They were like poking him, and you don't see in the video where he was being poked, but he felt this flagpole, and he grabbed the flagpole off, and he threw it on the ground. And where he threw it was in the foyer at the open doors, and you can hear it clink when it hits the ground, but that was um, that was can, that was given in his initial um, interview with the FBI. He told them about that from day one. But the way the media is working it out, they show this video on on Twitter one day after Matt died, and made it seem like this was new evidence when in fact. That very day that Matt turned himself in, he had told them about the flagpole incident then. So it's not like he was hiding anything. So, Jerry, did Matt ever get a trial? No. Matt, Matt's attorney encouraged him to plead guilty, which we are not in agreement with that. Um, 
So did he? He told Matt, he did plead guilty. He told Matt that based on Matt's mental state, he would not be strong enough to stand trial. He used the Kyle Rittenhouse trial as an example, basically saying you saw how they treated Kyle Rittenhouse. It's going to be 10 times worse. He told him he would not get a fair trial in D.C. because the jury would be made up of mostly Democrats based on the the demographics there. And um, so he told him the quickest way to put this behind him was, was to plead guilty. But in the beginning... Um, he told Matt all the time, don't worry, I've got this. You're not going to spend a day in jail. I mean, we heard this for months. And then after the, after they had added the obstruction charge, the attorney was still pretty confident about it. And as time went on, he started seeing what other people were getting sentenced. When Paul Hodgkins got eight and a half months for basically doing the same thing Matt did, Matt was very concerned. And then as time went on, the attorney said, you will probably have to do jail time. You know, let me just uh, stop to say, remind everyone that these guys that were arrested by the FBI and other places and put in jail in D.C. and in some time in home confinement, there are all kinds of varieties here, and being held still in other jails around the country— our detainees, most of them, were never charged with a crime. And that is illegal. You cannot detain people and withhold. Now, in matched cases, it's different. But for the guys in the D.C. jail, they have withheld uh, good food. They've withheld sanitation. They've withheld just the ability to even shave, the, the ability to, you know, to pray and have Christian services. Nothing. Phone calls. They've been uh, did, unable to talk to their attorneys. You cannot, under our Constitution, treat people that are still classified as detainees who have not been charged with a crime. You can't do that. We don't do that to people at Gitmo. We don't do that to foreign terrorists. We don't do that in this country. That's what is so outrageous. Well, Matt, then, now I'm learning, uh, stayed in his own home, but he, because of his sensitive, and also how your life is on hold, because uh, you don't know what's going to happen when, when the shoe is going to drop, and so you can understand uh, and when, uh, Jerry, let's let's continue the conversation. When we return, I'd like to know how his how Matt's family, you are the family, uh, responded to all of this, and how neighbors and friends and people in the community responded. And then we're going to take it up to the time and with uh, maybe a little clearer explanation of what was the straw that broke the camel's back for Matt. Um, and I also want to ask you about his faith. You've, you, you've alluded to it, but we want to talk about that, too. My guest is Jerry uh, Perna. She is the aunt of Matthew Perna, who took his own life uh, just a few months ago. Uh, he was one of the 700 arrested for simply going uh, to his, uh, you know, his uh, capital and supporting his president on, dis- on January the 6th. It's really shocking. It's just outrageous, really. And I don't want to lose the outrage, and I don't want you to either. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Matthew Lawrence Perna uh, took his own life uh, um, just a few months ago. Uh, he'd gotten some worse news after he'd been a, um, had to turn himself into the FBI because he was at the Capitol on January the 6th thinking 
that what he had done was so innocent that the guards let him in. He walked through the ropes. You've seen the videos of people walking through. He took videos. He chatted. Someone hit, poked him with a, uh, with a flagpole, and he grabbed it and threw it on the ground. He told the FBI he did that, but then they turned that around on him and said, that, you know, he was violent. This is the way the game is played. And so um, he has spent the, he spent the last, what, year plus, uh, you know, sequestering himself. He was like a Renaissance man, but very sensitive. You can tell from our description of him that he was a very sensitive guy, very capable, graduated top of his class, but he loved animals. He loved the elderly. He worked with uh, teaching English to, to students overseas, uh, just a really kind person, tenderhearted. And um, his, uh, his aunt, Jerry, is with us this morning to talk about Matthew. I think his story kind of uh, helps people understand, Jerry, that's the reason we're expanding it a little bit, because people can understand the heartbreak uh, of these guys whose lives really have just been, they're young, they're in the prime of life, and their lives just cut off, just cut off immediately, whether they're married with family or they're like uh, Matt without a family, but with a life that's very full. So, um, you said that he stayed to himself because he felt he just didn't want to be seen. So that leads me to ask you, the community, did they, local news, neighbors, how did people respond to him and to your family during this time? The community had um, a lot of hate and judgment was aimed towards Matt. The local newspaper is a very biased newspaper, as it is. And every opportunity they got to put a story of Matt on the front page using the same exact picture every time, um, the worst picture. If you saw pictures of Matt, he's quite a handsome guy, but of course they they chose the same picture over and over again that was taken at the Capitol that day. Oftentimes, the newspaper um, completely wrote false statements. It was in there, even as recently as December when he pled guilty, that Matt broke through the Capitol doors. Matt did not enter the Capitol until well after it had already been um, breached by previous people. And when the newspaper was printing these lies, they also had a Facebook page, and that's where the clause really came out, and the community just raked him over the coals. Not having an ounce of truth, um surrounding his story, they based their opinions on, on the lies. And it was bad. It was hateful. And Matt, like, um, the way he earned a living, he worked for HempWorks. It's a CBD oil product, com- a company that makes CBD oil. And um, he made a very, very good living. He was very much into holistic care, having lost his mother to leukemia um, seven years before. He really just deep dove into holistic medicine. Uh, Matt was a vegetarian. He he was very fit, healthy, and fit. Um, so that's how he earned his living, and he did it through podcasts, mostly where he educated people on the benefits of CBD products. And when they took his Facebook page away and his Instagram, he lost his seven thousand followers, and he had no way of doing his podcast anymore. So his income dropped instantly. And, um, it, it, I mean, this is how they're doing this with these people. 
they are taking every last thing away from them they possibly can take to break them. And Matt retained an attorney. Thankfully, he didn't have a public defender, but at this point, it you know really probably wouldn't have mattered. Um, but the ones who have retained attorneys throughout this year and three months, many of them run out of money because of the constant delays and postponements in their cases. So they can't pay an attorney anymore, and they're forced to get a public defender. Well, in this, the way this is going, you may as well have the prosecution defend you if you're going to have a public defender. And well, that's, that's how a- this is going. Just yesterday, somebody somebody got um, was found guilty by a trial of, by a jury yesterday. Um, all all four counts guilty. And well, it's like basically did the same thing Matt did. Well, it's like Guy, Guy, Guy Reffitt that I mentioned earlier. That's the one case I am familiar with mm-hmm. that, where that happened. He has a, a, an attorney who doesn't call anybody to defend him. No defense witnesses. No. He won't even let Guy testify on his own behalf. Well, not uh, so. No, it's and, just and the, the trial happened with yesterday. Uh, I, that's just T.J. Robertson. That's the newest one. T.J. Robertson guilty on all counts. This is just. Um, and I mean, you had people from uh, a summer ago from Black Lives Matter and Antifa, tearing down cities, looting, burning buildings, didn't spend a day in jail. Oh, we know that. These people have been charged with an insurrection, really? No one's been charged with an insurrection. That's another narrative that the media keeps carrying. No one has been charged with an insurrection. Because it wasn't an insurrection. Because it was not an insurrection. Yes, no one had a weapon. It has to be restated. These are things that you know and I know, but it has to, I'm glad you said that again. So, um, all right, Jerry, let's come back to Matt's life, his, the last few, days, last few days of his life. So he was, his, his attorney had told him that he wouldn't have to go to He knew he wouldn't have to go to jail. He persuaded Matt to plead, plead guilty to these really ridiculous yes. charges we know now. And um, he was expecting this thing to go away eventually. But what was the last straw? Explain it again. What was the word that came to him that caused him to just go over the Rubicon? Well, Matt was scheduled to have his sentencing hearing on the 3rd of March. And basically, um, a week prior to that, we were still believing if Matt did get any jail time, it would be 6 to 12 months in a federal prison camp. And Matt did his research. Oh, my goodness. When he heard about that, he researched everything he possibly could on federal prison camps, videos he watched from former inmates just to see what to expect. And that was the whole thing with Matt during this entire year plus was not knowing what was going to happen. It was literally eating him alive, not knowing what his the outcome was going to be. So... The the hearing was scheduled for March 3rd. He had prepared himself for 6 to 12 months. And for some reason, on the Monday prior to March 3rd, a week before, Matt just had a very bad feeling. Now, and let me give you a little insight, and I don't believe this is a coincidence, because the Department of Justice has gone through great lengths to mentally incapacitate these people. March 3rd is the anniversary of Matt's mother's death. 
and they scheduled the sentencing hearing on March 3rd. So he was not having a good feeling about it. And I always try to turn it into a positive. I said, Matt, maybe it's a good sign. Maybe it means your mom is watching out for you. I tried so hard, but he he had resigned himself that, that it was not a good sign. So that Monday prior to that, he called his attorney and he said, I just have a bad feeling about next Monday. And that's when his attorney told him that the prosecution was looking to add eight points to the scale of his offenses. He was at a 14 and they were looking to add eight. And they basically were going to pull this out at the last minute. And um, they had postponed the sentencing hearing. It was not going to be March 3rd anymore. They postponed it to April Fool's Day, which I don't think was a coincidence either. And um, the attorney told him, you know, I'm going to try to do my best here to see that they don't add these points on. But that's all Matt heard, that they were going to add these points on. And that was on Monday. Now, Matt had been sleeping at his other aunt's house at night because she did not want him alone in his house at night. Matt had horrendous nightmares. By this point, and I had talked to him on that day, on Monday, he had developed a stutter. Matt was always a very articulate speaker. Um, He was stuttering. I picked up on it right away when I was talking to him. He had begun vomiting blood, and I would have to assume he gave himself a stomach ulcer through all the worry and stress. And he decided on that Monday night he was not going back to sleep at his aunt's house. And um, that Friday, I was working in the yard all day, and I thought, I'm going to go in and take a quick bath. And my phone rang, and it was one of my brother's. And they said, you need to get a plane ticket to come home. Matt hung himself. And I I went into complete hysterics. I I just didn't expect it. We knew that Matt was suicidal throughout the entire year. We knew it. He was seeing counselors. But that last bit of news from his attorney had to be the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And we still are not sure what exactly the attorney told him the worst-case scenario could be because the attorney has changed the worst-case scenario twice since Matt died. So we don't really know what Matt was told. But um, I called the attorney after I heard about Matt, and I was, like, I was crying, I was angry, and I told him, I said, you kept saying, you've got this, you've got this, and you didn't have it. And he started yelling at me. He said, don't you put that on me. Don't you put that on me. And I said, you were his attorney. You kept telling him, you've got this. And he said, you are irrational. And he said, I'm hanging up on you. And he did. Well, he won't be, no one can put that on him unless it is his fault and that would be God and he can't uh, declaring it's not so won't make it not so I want to read something from the obituary that I think is so moving uh, Matt is survived by his loving father Lawrence of Sharpsville his brother Stephen of Nederland, 
California. His grandmother, Rosie Garzona of Hermitage, and several aunts, uncles, and cousins who will never stop missing him. He was preceded in death by his amazing mother, Ronnie, Ronnie, and his grandparents, Henry and Millie Perna, as well as his grandfather, Frank, that he was very close to and admired very much. Matt attended Central Community Church in Transfer, Pennsylvania. He was a Christian who read his Bible daily. Matt's family stood by him during this devastating ordeal and are extremely proud of his passion for life and his pursuit of many dreams. His actions last year are not looked down upon. Instead, his family is grateful and humbled by his courage. They say God never gives anyone more than they can handle. That statement is not biblical, nor is it true. Rest easy, Matt. You are finally free. That's just powerful. And I just saw a couple of questions from that. Uh, So the family stood by him, as you had said before. Uh, So how did the community respond when Matt took his life? Um. The community, the community was, it was odd. It was very odd because we knew we were going to have a big turnout at the funeral. Um, but the people who came to the funeral were not the people we expected. Many of our friends did not come to the funeral. And that spoke volumes. Um, our relatives, the majority, 90% of our relatives um, not not the immediate family, but like cousins. None of them came. The funeral was filled with flowers from all over the country. I probably would say I was able to send thank you notes to 20% because well, the rest were anonymous. Jerry, we're running out of I mean, time. I it was so full. I have to ask you this. This is 30 seconds. Matt was a Christian who read his Bible daily. That's the part we left out. Do you think he was prepared? Uh, you understand what that means? Prepared for his... Yes, he was. There's not a doubt in my mind. Matt was a born-again Christian. And if you had seen his Bible, it was obvious he had read it through more than once. There wasn't a page in his Bible that didn't have a note written on it. Jerry, I, I can't tell he you how much Jesus. I... Oh, wow. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you pouring your heart and telling us all these personal things. And let me just say, Matthew Lawrence Perna, rest in peace. Your life was well lived. Uh, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.